Welcome to Catalytic Curiosity. I am your host, James with a Y O'Farron with Catalytic Conversations. I serve remote professionals and hybrid organizations with coaching, consulting, and training to help them reconcile humanity and technology, leading to healthier, digitally integrated lives and teams. On this podcast, I am embarking on a journey of discovery to unearth the roots of digital mastery and maturity beyond mere adulting. I interview insightful and intriguing experts, exploring how we can develop sage-like maturity with intention in today's digitized world. Today's episode brings Oren Lewin to the table to talk about emotional agility in a chaotic digital world. Oren is a mindset guide helping entrepreneurs and leaders to 10 times their confidence and motivation, say goodbye to their fears and stress, and step into their callings. Oren spent a decade in faith-based ministry and has a deep passion for helping others and making an impact. Out of his own journey from scarcity thinking to abundance thinking, he has designed the program to help others learn in weeks what it took him years to learn. Uh, during our conversation, we talked about relationships and how they interplay with our bodies and our emotional aspects of our body's senses and how that can lead us to greater presence and awareness in our digital chaotic landscape. So buckle in and join us for this amazing conversation. Well, hello and welcome, Oren, to our podcast, Catalytic, Catalytic Curiosity. Uh, we've had a lot of conversations before, a lot of really fun conversations, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I am looking forward to this one. We've already had a lot of fun getting started and prepping for this. Uh, so tell me a bit about you, uh, who you are as a coach, and kind of what inspires you and activates you as a coach. Thank you, James. Yes. So, so my name is Oren Lewin. I'm, uh, I hail from Canada. Mm -hmm. and A bit north and, of me. Uh, <laughs> yes, a bit north. <clears throat> Um, I was thinking this morning, I was like, I think Canadians are a little bit better than Americans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're a bit higher on the polls, you know, Yeah, <laughs> literally. <laughs> so, so anyways, a little bit about my background. So I grew up in, in Northern British Columbia uh, in a small town of 2000 people. And uh, as I graduated high school, I went into ministry. Actually, I was in ministry for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of great experiences, great perspectives, just a mm -hmm. deep passion and, and, and a sense of purpose and meaning. Mm -hmm. But um, often what I found was I wasn't having the impact that I wanted to have, or I lacked mm -hmm. some of the tools of connecting with myself and connecting with others. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot really really behind that that we might get into in this upcoming mm -hmm. conversation yeah but as i shifted into into business and starting my coaching practice and really helping people i realized that i needed to to go deeper for myself mm -hmm. and as i went deeper i had to unpack different layers getting all the way down to the things that i'm believing particularly about myself mm -hmm. um the things that i'm value what are, what are the values that I'm living out of in my day-to-day -day experiences? Mm -hmm. And and I how am I actually... The values that you are living out of. That's a really good phrase. I like. I want to highlight that. That's good. Mm -hmm. and, and so ultimately, for most of my life, I felt like I was holding myself back. I mm -hmm. felt like, man, I, there's, there's a lot of desires that I have. I really do want to succeed. And I was moving out. But 
there was there was this belief that it wasn't really going to work and that was in the background and that was it was like an like a, a chain that w- was pulling me back and so every mm-hmm. time i try something i wouldn't be able to fully give myself to it and then oftentimes it wouldn't work out mm-hmm. and so being able to to break that chain and really come to a place of inner freedom and confidence and joy mm-hmm. that's what i have experienced and that's what i love <laughs> to uh, that's my message james i want to help other people experience what i have experienced yeah isn't that that's so, so much of whenever there's authentic sharing of value it's a mm-hmm. sharing of experience like i've experienced this product and i want you to experience this product too i experienced this service i want you to experience it too because you believe in it authentically this is something that is good for you uh mm-hmm. in your instance and so i want you to also share in that it's a it's a matter of giving it's a relational type thing and when you think about it in those terms, it it doesn't it doesn't come across nearly as salesy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it does. So, it's, it's it's invitational. Yes, exactly. It's a really good way of putting it. Very true. Very true. So tell me a bit about like what there's so many different coaches out there, all these different aspects of it. What are some of the key aspects that are unique to you? You know, you you, you work with um, NLP. You work with some uh, like somatic type things. Like what what are, what are some of the different components that you bring into play as that are in your toolkit that are unique to you? Or mm-hmm. unique? <laughs> yeah, where I really dive into, I would say there's three three areas that I that I dive into that I work with. Uh, the first would be values. Is what's like as we just talked about. What mm-hmm. are the values that you're living in this moment? Yeah, because oftentimes when we run into say an, an inner conflict mm-hmm. um there's 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 values there's things that are happening under the surface that once you become aware of them it clears up that conflict mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing that i work with people is beliefs as i mentioned the the negative beliefs the self-limiting beliefs that i had about myself and how they really just hindered me moving forward mm-hmm. and that uh, the mindset of scarcity Mm-hmm. But never yeah. feeling like I'm enough, never feeling like I can do enough mm-hmm. and changing that to beliefs that fuel a mindset of abundance. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing that I work with is uh, I call it resourcefulness. Really, it is accessing your inner resources. Really, is I use it as a code for that emotional agility, uh, being yes. able to to manage your emotions, being able to process negative emotions quickly and healthily, being able mm-hmm. to cultivate positive emotions Mm -hmm. in a way that's going to serve you and give you momentum Mm -hmm. towards achieving your goals yeah so let's talk a little bit about that last one because that is something that's really challenging Uh, when Mm -hmm. you go out normally we engage with people in in person typically one-on-one or a few in a group um, and we're impacted by the emotions of the people around us they they shape there's there's a synergy between all of our emotions like a, a, a shared collective emotional pool you could say yeah. And that's, we, we, we've, we've worked to, we've been designed to operate within those, those parameters and it's difficult for people um, even then. But when we translate to online, a lot of times we go off on Facebook, there's hundreds of people, thousands of people, particularly on Twitter, you know, millions of people spewing mm-hmm. little micro dots of their emotional content into the world, right? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like static rather than a symphony. In a sense, mm-hmm. there's all these emotional darts all over the place, and we just get diffracted, just like torn, like all over the place. Like it's training us into bipolarism and ADHD. 
um, mm-hmm. just by stewing in this content. So it seems like this, this concept of emotional agility of anchoring ourselves, mastering ourselves, knowing our emotions and being able to uh, work within that space in a confident and reliable way would be really helpful for people who are on the internet at all. <laughs> so mm-hmm. tell me more about that. What do you do in emotional agility? How do you define that? What does that look like? What are some of the tools that go into play there? Yeah. And I think that's really, I think that's really insightful what you said. Um, obviously this is, this is your, your wheelhouse, but uh, I, I haven't thought about that before. There's, there's too many people and too much abstract information on the internet. Mm-hmm. It's not really connecting us with with our bodies, with mm-hmm. our environments. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the yeah. first things when we, when you talk about emotion in the in the category of emotional intelligence, you know, really pioneered by Daniel Goleman, he talked about the two primary competencies of emotional intelligence. The first one being self awareness, mm-hmm. and the second one being self management. Makes sense. Because you can't you can't manage yourself without being aware of yourself, yep. and we naturally think we are, but we aren't. Right. And so it, we all have blind spots. We're all in a spectrum. Yep. And one one of the places that I start with people, and that we've had a conversation about this before, yes. is how do you how do you experience life? Well, you experience it through your senses. Yes. Particularly through your five senses, and generally primarily all bodily senses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What you're seeing, what you're hearing, what you're what you're touching, tactile, mm-hmm. um, what you're what you're tasting, and what you're smelling as well. Mm-hmm. And so, <clears throat> when we go from from step to step, when we're interacting with life, it's our senses that are that are really serving as the building blocks uh, that that are um, forming our memories, mm-hmm. and and so. I usually work with people first getting in touch with that mm-hmm. is, is what are you seeing? What are you hearing? If you have a, a say a, a belief, mm-hmm. right. About yourself, about being successful or, or whatever, mm-hmm. you're going to have memories that you're going to remember. And if I ask you to pull them up, I'm going to ask, what do you, what did you see? What did you hear in those memories? Mm-hmm. And that will form the, the information that you actually use to form that belief. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I might be going off on a bit of a yeah, uh, no, no, that's great. Here. That's great. Uh, and can I think I want to think when I commented earlier about the, the importance of this this emotional awareness and its tie to our bodies uh, is so critical because, like I mentioned, like when you're online, you're not only are just all these bits of information coming at you all, from all directions. It's all very abstract, like you said, and it's easy for us to forget that we ha- even have a body. Right. And we, we get we just distracted from it and distanced from it. And we get so caught up in all these dialogues and conflicts and things like that, that we're just operating by default in a very reactive state. And we get so I, I love the XKCD comic of the guy who's sitting on his computer furiously typing away in the midnight. And his wife's going like, when are you going to come to bed? It's like, no, I, I have I have to work this. There's somebody wrong on the internet. <laughs> like there's always going to be somebody wrong on the internet. No matter what you do, there's always going to be somebody wrong on the internet. Uh, and so the, the, that impulse of the, this uh, overblown importance of every little argument interaction online, some of them are important because they're people that are actually relationally involved with you. Um, but so often the case that it's not really all that important 
And when we recontextualize and be aware of our emotional impact that we're having, uh, oftentimes gets us when we are forgetting that we're in this spot, in this place, in this body, rather than a person impacted by all these people out on the internet. So gaining the sense of awareness of our own bodies seems really critical to me. Mm, that makes sense. Um, and and when we're interacting with, with people, like, because it's decontextualized, the mm. internet. If I'm, if I'm living life, you know, if, I, if we didn't have the internet, right, we'd go out to town and we would meet, yes. you know, five to Over 10 people. food. <laughs> <laughs> we'd meet a few people and we'd interact with them and that would be our experiences. Yeah. But online, there's so many people. Mm -hmm. um, it's too many for our brains to really, to really process well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then also how, how the internet, a lot of the Facebook and Instagram are designed to be uh, addictive. They're designed to draw us in so that we spend, you know, or, or video games so that mm -hmm. we spend 20 plus hours a day on them mm -hmm. and, and really form this attachment where mm -hmm. then you're, your ability to grow emotionally then is stunted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's not because, a yeah. quality over or quantity over quality in a sense. Yeah. There's so many interactions that it's hard to have a, a specific deep interaction. Yeah. yeah. And one of, one of the reasons coaching is powerful is because it's bringing back the reflection. Mm. Um, it's doing it within the context of a relationship, but helping a person to say, okay, I, there's there's too much information there's too much activity we live in such a busy world i need a space and and what coaches what you know good coaches do is give a person that space to take a step back mm -hmm. to see the big picture to ask what are my value what's really important here um where am i going with with all i'm doing what am i doing that's purposeful and meaningful mm -hmm. and, and to have that space to reflect is so important yeah i love that so true. It's one of the reasons why I, I find coaching as such a rewarding profession. Mm -hmm. So what are some practical uh, exercises, like maybe, maybe, maybe even like, I mean, almost self-coaching exercises that people can do in the moment to help them reconnect with their emotions in their body, in a sense, if they're feeling that fragmentation online and they're wanting to recenter on the relationships, what are some ideas um, that could help there possibly? Hmm. Questions they can well, ask. So some uh, a couple exercises that like um very basic but also very powerful are the first one would be deep breathing oh yes absolutely and so if you're if you know feel that that addiction and that pull just to stop and take you know 10 deep breaths take 20 deep breaths mm -hmm. and that really slows your slows your emotional you know anxiety down mm -hmm. so okay now i can think think a bit more clearly so that would be one just quick in the yes. moment tool. And, and another one that's, that's similar takes a bit of time is, is more the meditation, meditation or, or prayer, mm -hmm. which does require a person to step back again and tap into the deeper things in their soul and, and have that time and space to process. Mm -hmm. And so those would be two quick tools yes. that I would just say off the top of my head. I love that. I love that. So one of the other things that uh, we brought up, and I think it would be kind of fun to bring in here, particularly when we're talking about relationships and how important relationships are in this and how mm -hmm. we're designed to experience emotions. I kind of 
running back to our conversation and kind of summarizing it in many ways, uh, how much our emotions are designed to be part of relational contexts, right? They're not things that we experience in isolation or in too much abstraction. They're, they're the, they're the, they're the music, the symphony of an orchestra of people. They work together uh, in that synergy together in that relationship. And one of the things uh, we mentioned earlier is when you're talking with your pastor about how to contextualize what coaching is and how that relates to relationships. Could you talk on that briefly? The uh, so so we were talking about the ancient uh, Hebrew word yes. shalom, uh, and which relates to the English word we translate what is peace. And yes. peace is really when when we hear it and we say it in the English language, generally it misses a lot of its meaning. Lack of conflict, this right? Of conflict <laughs> or, or or even just a picture of a still quiet lake, you yeah. know, on a morning without ripples. Yes, but but true peace is is really r- rightly ordered to be rightly ordered and you know in my conversation with my pastor about coaching it was that shalom has four fundamental relationships uh, attached to the word and so there's the relationship that you have with yourself mm-hmm. the relationship that you have with others mm-hmm. the relationship you have with the world mm-hmm. earth and creation mm-hmm. and the relationship that you have with god Mm-hmm. And so, and so, true shalom, true peace, then is seen within the context of these four relationships. Yeah. And uh, and so, when I do my my work, my coaching, mm-hmm. what I really help people do, of course, it's within the context of person to person relationship. But yeah. I really help them to heal and to work on the their relationship with themselves. Yeah. And to come to that place of abundance and health. And, and reconnect in an ordered way. And one of the things about that concept of ordered, because a lot of us in our uh, modernistic mechanistic society, we think of ordered as like machines in a row, mm-hmm. right? Or cogs or a chessboard right. grid or something like that. Whereas in the ancient concept, when something is said to be ordered, it means more like it's alive. Like our yeah. bodies are well ordered. They're well constructed right? They are in their proper place doing their proper things. They bring forth more life. So there's like, if you think of like static and chaos, like I was saying with the internet, right? Um, That's like, you know, the opposite of a orderly life bringing Mm -hmm. being, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea of something that's sterile and um, linear and reduced down to parts is actually almost more chaotic than ordered in a life-giving sense because it's sterile. Right. And something sterile is not life, not doesn't give life <laughs> by, by definition. And so this idea of these relationships isn't just that there's a constraint put on them, but that there's openness and possibility. And all of these um, creative opportunities are open to us within these properly um, ordered relationships and roles in these yeah. four dimensions. So Shalom well is is peace. Yes. But it's it's uh, it's not just like the static quiet of a untouched lake um it's the peace and joy and vibrancy of a tree of life right right or of a an orchestra and all yes. the different players playing in synchrony and, yes. and harmony yes exactly yeah. that's a beautiful picture yeah that, that, and that's and i think that uh coaching is such a beautiful tool for helping to um, bring order in that uh, life-giving abundance into people's lives and helping them to see where the chaos is and how to tame it 
in a sense. <laughs> but finding these exercises as we are, um, you know, interacting with things that do tend towards chaos, um, mm-hmm. finding ways to engage with them in a way that brings life. So mm-hmm. thinking about in concept of relationships, thinking about that in context of online, uh, what are some thoughts that you have as far as how can we bring more shalom into our lives when we're engaging in kind of this this chaotic um, static of uh, fractal <laughs> relationships that are online? Mm. Yeah. Well, a person would need healthy healthy rhythms, right? Healthy mm. patterns of engaging mm. in each one of these four relationships. And yeah, there's there's time for online, but there's a time to shut down the computer. Yes. There's a time to turn off the phone. Balance. To go for a walk, right? Mm. To walk, you know, in, in, in nature. Mm-hmm. And yeah, as I mentioned, my wheelhouse is really diving into that relationship with yourself. Yes. And and so rightly, you know, your your beliefs or your paradigms, how you're interpreting the the world and in ways that you know oftentimes when a person has a um, a recurring negative feeling mm-hmm. about themselves about a situation usually that's a that's a signal it's a mm-hmm. signal saying hey pay attention to me pay attention to me and when you do there's there's information there it's the mm-hmm. positive message behind a negative emotion right. that's going to lead you to greater health that's going to yeah. lead you to to living in, you know, better relationship with yourself mm-hmm. and then also better relationships with in those other three areas. Could you touch on that more talking about, because this is something that I, I, th- I think, I know what you're talking about, particularly in terms of, as a coach, because I use a similar tool. Um, but and some of our listeners might not be aware of this concept of the positive value that's behind the negative. Mm-hmm. Um, can you elaborate more on that, about that, that concept of, uh, what is the, what are the things that you're for that's causing you to have that fear trigger? Mm-hmm. So, so for example, when a, per, well, when a person has a, a negative feeling or a negative sense that, ah, you know, maybe it's a, a disappointment, maybe it's a frustration, maybe it's a mm-hmm. guilt, mm-hmm. right? It could be fear and anger as well. All of that, oftentimes, you know, people will just sit with that and they'll move forward and they'll, they'll continue on that feeling and, and it might lead down yeah. And I've been there. It lead mm-hmm. me down the path of rumination or lead me, you know, I should be doing work, but instead of procrastinating, I'm <laughs> thinking about this conversation that I didn't like how it went. Yeah. And, but this is where self-awareness is key is to actually stop, to put on the brakes. Hey, there's something, I'm feeling something bad and to explore it. And, and what I have found is that every negative emotion is just a, it's just a doorway. It's like a, the lights on a dashboard in a car mm-hmm. that says, hey, check under the hood. There's something that needs to be checked on, something that needs to be checked on. Mm-hmm. If there's a, you know, a frustration, it's, hey, there's an expectation that I had that's violated. What do I need to do here? Maybe I need to change my expectations or maybe I need to take action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that way that negative feeling has, is giving you a purpose here. Mm-hmm. If there's a, I'm afraid I'm, I'm, you know, I've experienced social anxieties. Well, what's that actually saying? There's a desire that I have for, for safety. And we can continue to unpack that. Yeah. You know, oftentimes it's a desire for peace. Mm-hmm. 
okay, well, that's a positive thing. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a good thing. And so to be able to embrace that uh, and to not run, don't run away. So to, to all your listeners, James, don't run away from your negative emotions, but, but pause and listen to them and say, hey, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. and, and really take them seriously so that you can process and come to a yeah. uh, place of more full, full health and a more full experience. Yeah. That was one thing that I mentioned in our, uh, in our pre-show conversation about how uh, if you want to go a little bit for a few steps into the theology of it, uh, evil is always derivative. It's never yeah. um, self-generative. Uh, uh, evil is always something that is a broken or a twistedness of something that was good. Uh, so if you look at something that's negative or destructive or painful, it's always there's always a direction in it that can point us back to the thing that is good, the shalom that is disordered, mm -hmm. right? That we can go back into and find that direction. So if, we have, if we're feeling these emotions, if we try to mask them and hide them, we're just leaving that disorder sitting in our lives, right? Instead of entering mm -hmm. into it to find out what's the path back to order? What's the path back to life? What's the path back to Shalom here? Mm -hmm. uh, which is, it's just a powerful perspective because then we can learn and grow. That's one thing I talk about all the time about that we're designed to grow under stress. Like we are designed, that's why we exercise. That's mm -hmm. why we go through, that's why God lets hard things into our lives so that we can grow from them and draw close to him, right? Um, so when we approach hardship in the world with that perspective of I can grow from this, then like burnout's not even an issue anymore because burnout is just stress that we aren't growing from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's really all it is and so finding us to go back to and find that value that's at the root of those fears of those pains those frustrations uh, is really really powerful so what are yeah. some of the what are some of the discoveries like that. that you've had in connection with that like when you're helping map out people's you know value systems are there any patterns that you've noticed that are like insightful or have a something to speak towards our society hmm so when I'm when I'm helping people identify their values, uh, there there's there's not that many. When you get to the higher level values, there's not that many really on the high levels. People are often searching for the same things. They're searching mm. for joy. Mm. They're searching for peace. Mm -hmm. They're searching for connection with mm. other. You could call it love. Mm -hmm. And and so usually there's just a handful, like mm. like probably between five and ten of those high level values. Mm. that everyone is searching for in their own way. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's really neat, you know, and to be able to, to recognize that, to say, Hey, every person, every conflict, usually people are after something, the values behind the conflict, even if it seems unreconcilable, mm. if, uh, if those who are in conflict were able to, to take to chunk back to say, Hey, what is, what's our value system behind this? Mm. Um, that would open up so many doorways for collaboration. Yeah, the common ground, there that is. Yeah. So beautiful, so profound. Yeah. yeah. So have you actually done like um, arbitration or like when you're working between different groups to help them deal with conflicts by going down to the root values of each group and showing them that commonality? Have you done anything like that before? Ooh, that would be interesting. I'd I'd be I'd be up for it. Um, <laughs> I've worked with a number of individuals yeah. who have been in conflict and helping right, right. them to take a step back and grow in that self awareness. Yeah, but uh, I haven't done arbitration. That'd be interesting. I, I know I, I've I've never done it as like a formal professional thing. 
Um, but like you, like I'll, I'll be working on one side of that argument. And I, I, I don't know when I started doing this. I started like a principle or a rule a ways back that whenever I'm talking with somebody and they're talking about somebody else, whether it's positive or negative, I always bias towards the defense of the person who's not there. Hmm. Right. Uh, and as, as a general pattern of rule. Um, and what that's often turned into is if somebody comes to me, they're in a conflict or they're frustrated and they're trying to figure out how to deal with it. And they're just like grumping and complaining about this other person. And I don't know the other person from Adam oftentimes, um, but they'll like be throwing out suggestions like, Hey, I wonder if they were coming out from this perspective, or I wonder if this might be their motivation there, or maybe they meant that instead of this or giving, mm-hmm. helping the other person think through possibilities of ways to assume positive intent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and bring that voice into the conversation. The people get annoyed at me for it. <laughs> like, why are you taking their side? You know, like, well, they're not here. That's well, why. <laughs> here's, so you can frame it as a question. You can say, hey, yeah. what do you think they were really looking for when they did that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It, it's, it's, a, it's a good skill to have, to be able to ask those kinds of questions, to dig in. Uh, to their values, um, kind of on their behalf, but assuming that positive intent, which is so critical, uh, going back to the kind of the theme of, you know, online interactions, because we typically don't assume positive intent to people who are interacting with online. We 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 behave almost as if they're not even human. Mm. Oftentimes they're just a, a word on or a name on a page uh, instead of an actual full human. Yeah, there's yeah. probably something psychological behind that. Probably. <laughs> I think it has to do with like the lack of dimensionality. Um, like we, we we normally encounter people fully dimensioned where we can touch them, we can smell them, we can hear them, we can you know, eat with them um, in, a, in the same place. And there's this fully dimensioned interaction. Uh, and then when we're interacting, you know, even here we have, you know, we have face expressions, we have body language, we have voice, we have all these different things. Uh, and we're synchronous at the same time. We can see to the time dimension as well, right? Uh, whereas if you're interacting on Facebook, right, you don't have any of that. You just have text asynchronously, no reaction, no time connection, no dimensionality whatsoever. Uh, and so it's what your assumptions are. What you project into it is what you're going to see there. Yeah. And that's where this connection comes in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what are some other thoughts that you have around the idea of emotional agility um, and different ways that you can develop that skill? Yeah. So the, the, what I was mentioning earlier was the, how you respond to negative emotions, right? Instead of, instead of reacting or pushing it away or just ignoring it, giving it that space. Mm -hmm. When we talk about positive emotions, um, if you want to change your results, mm-hmm. right, you need to change your behaviors. Yes. And one of the most powerful ways to change that behavior is, is to get in a different emotional state, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And so to, to have habits of, of, you know, of gratitude and, and uh, you know, to, to rec- celebrate your accomplishments, those are good. Those are good just as far as building that, those thresholds, right? Something mm-hmm. to do daily or weekly say, Hey, what are the things that I'm grateful for? Mm-hmm. What are the things that I'm great? Um, that I have accomplished that I can celebrate, mm-hmm. especially, especially high achievers, James, this is one of the problems of high achievers is we're always seeing what we do wrong, what we can yeah. do better. 
Yeah. And and sometimes you need to stop and say, no, no, hey, I actually did a whole bunch of things well. Let mm-hmm. me just stop mm-hmm. and, and sit in that good feeling and say, huh, good job, Orin. I did a good job. Yeah. That one's really critical for uh, burnout. I was just talking to somebody earlier today mm-hmm. about this particular concept because there's like the three components of burnout. There's the overwhelm. There's the disconnect from people around you. And there's what I call inefficacy, which is mm-hmm. lack of a meaning, a, a, a sense of meaningful accomplishment, which mm-hmm. is what we what comes into imposter syndrome. We internalize yeah. this lack of meaningful accomplishment and that gets expressed as imposter syndrome typically. Um, there's other possible reasons for that that tend to be trends more towards therapy and whatnot. But in general, large portion, that's the connection there. Um, but a lot of that oftentimes is not the fact that we're not actually doing things that are meaningful or accomplished, right? It's just that we haven't noticed them <laughs> or we yeah. don't remember them. We're, we aren't paying enough attention to them uh, or they're just outside of our, our, our personality range. I, I call it the working motivational memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have like a particular range within which that we think time is real. If it's too far ahead, we, it's not real. We don't work on it. And then we get close to it. Oh, I need, I need to work on that. That's where a lot of procrastination comes from. Um, oh, interesting. And so some people like, you know, they, they see all the events out to like, you know, three months out. Some people only see within five minutes, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Like mine's around six, six hours. My wife's around two weeks. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think like, she's like, oh, we need to get where to start working on this. I'm like, oh, that thing exists. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, so I use to-do lists <laughs> and calendars to keep track of things. Otherwise, my life would be insane, more insane than it is. Uh, but then the similar is there's a backwards direction too, where we look back in time to remember things that we've done. And so if it goes past that range, it doesn't really feel real anymore. Like I did that, I did that last year. I did that 10 years ago. That's not really me anymore. Hmm. Right. So if it's shorter, like if like it's three days, like, and you have like a longer cycle on significant accomplishments like say you're a real estate agent or something like that and you mm-hmm. get like a big sale you know several times a year but not like several a day then you might have a big struggle with imposter syndrome because you're not remembering or experiencing success on a regular basis within your range of memory yeah sense um there's a bunch of other aspects to it too but that sense of being intentional about taking the time to celebrate those wins and bring them into your experience mm-hmm. regularly is so critical for dealing with not just burnout, but imposter syndrome and being able to share your, know what your values are and that you're living up to them. It's really mm. critical. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That was really good. I want to hear more about this after. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, I have a few, I have a few webinars. <laughs> yeah. And another thing, I would say as far as being forward focused, yes. Uh, one of the things that I work on with my clients is, is visualizing your goals, mm-hmm. right? So, so lots of people talk about smart, smart goals, specific, measurable, yes. um, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of the specific, the specific, really the first part of, mm-hmm. of the SMART acronym is really, if you have a goal that you're working towards, get into the tactile as we were talking about earlier what are you going to see when you reach mm. your goal what are you going to see uh here what are you going to feel yeah and, and and when you can visualize that that helps it helps it almost builds a place of where your mind has a comfort zone so mm. that when you're moving towards your goal it, it doesn't feel so unfamiliar i don't know if i can do this but it's like i've been here before though mm. maybe in my imagination 
I've been here before. I know what this is like. And that helps give you that motivation and move you towards it. Was it you who also mentioned that when you are visualizing your future, it's important to not only visualize your success, but visualize the potential obstacles that come into play? Yeah. And Uh, yeah, yeah. David Goggins talks about this in his book, uh, Can't Hurt Me. Mm. And, and And I love this because... So he talked about visualize your your the obstacles that you have and visualize yourself overcoming them. Mm-hmm. And so I took this. I was I I really like this. And mm-hmm. and so when I'm working with clients, I, I do my process and then add this on as well, because mm-hmm. oftentimes it's the obstacles or the perceived challenges yeah. that are going to sideline you, that yeah. are going to get you down in a rut. And yeah. so to really think through specifically visualizing is going to help you think through how you're going to actually overcome those challenges. Because if you only visualize the success and then you encounter an obstacle, then it's like, Oh, this, you get this cognitive dissonance. Like, Oh, this is not what I was imagining. And then you get this excuse to bail out. Whereas if you've already visualized even failure, if you've, and then getting back up again, you visualize getting distracted. Then when that happens, like, ah, yes, I've planned for this. (laughs) you know it's like it's not it doesn't take you by surprise Mm -hmm. and you get that extra level of commitment at the beginning and i really love this it's it's, it's really beautiful because it trains us into that growth mindset that Mm -hmm. obstacles are there to be grown through Mm -hmm. right we preparing for that rather than this kind of rather than a pollyanna approach of everything's always nice because life is not always nice we go have but but we can triumph over the disorder and evil in the world and through that, get to show up. Yeah, well said. I love that. Well, that's really great <laughs> stuff. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, jump on uh, my podcast here and talk about these things. I think this is really important, uh, critical for particularly for today's world, um, mm-hmm. being able to get back in touch um, in a meaningful, constructive way with our emotions and with our with our bodies and how we do that. Mm-hmm. So, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, James. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you had your curiosity sparked to explore these subjects with greater awareness or gained a valuable insight along the way. Take a look at the show notes for links for how you can get a hold of Orin, read reviews wherever you can, and make sure to join the conversation on my Discord. Remember, community is the catalyst that drives lasting transformation. I'll see you in the next episode of Catalytic Curiosity.